who are the athletes whose stories are being told? So if you look at, I think I mentioned Paralympians, historically, they've never been talked about on primetime television. Um, what about women from the global south? What about people who don't fall into um, heteronormative identities, who fall a little bit outside of the mold, either from a beauty perspective, a religious perspective, Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and this week my guest is Jamie Mittelman. Jamie is the founder of Flame Bearers, the first global storytelling platform celebrating the stories of women, Olympians and Paralympians. For more information about Flame Bearers, please have a look at the show notes or check out flamebearers.com. The songs in this podcast have been shortened for rights reason. For more information and more episodes, please check out socialfabric.ie. If you do get a chance, subscribe, share and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. There are a few live podcasts coming up in the coming months, in the Whale Theatre in Greystones and in the Laughter Lounge in Dublin City Centre. Check out their websites for more information and for tickets. The title tune is Happy and Shiny by the Randa About Us. But I was like, I was, there's always something nice at the beginning of a conversation before we even start a conversation. So, um, so yeah, look, first of all, thanks a million for being here. Um, I know we were introduced uh, by Emma, but, uh, um, I've been reading about you and it's fascinating what you do. So I'm really keen to, to get through this conversation and see what comes out of it. So what I do, and now as I was reading through, it's quite interesting because you, you're quite specific to what you do with your flame bearers. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Um, but that idea of connections and conversations and, uh, and how, the connection, that's what that's what the social fabric on podcast is all about, is about connections, about people listening to stories and maybe maybe something sparks in their imagination and maybe something happens. And over the years things have happened. Uh conversation have sparked new things. So which is it's, it's all I want to do. I want to start the fires and let the fires take off, you know, at some point. So so that's uh that's really what I do. And uh, and I'm delighted that uh to meet a fellow podcaster, but I know you, there's a lot more to you than just podcasting. So, um, so yeah, if that's okay with you, I, I, I just like to start. As I said, we don't know each other. I, all I know is your name and surname. So, and I know you, now I know you live in Boston. That's about all I know. Give, give me a bit more about you. Yeah, sure. And, and it's an honor to meet you too. I was checking out your work before and I love, I love what you do. I love how the social fabric is about bringing people together and having conversations to see where they go and not not coming in with an agenda I think that is that's really key um so I'm Jamie um I started flame bears three and a half years ago which is absolutely crazy to me I guess it is 2024 already um and our mission is to illuminate the unsung stories of resilient women Olympians and Paralympians so we tell stories in three ways, podcast, video, and live events. People are always like, are you an Olympian or Paralympian? What What's your connection to this? So short answer, absolutely not. Uh, I wish. Uh, growing up, I was very much an athlete, but 
when I speak to literally the best in the world, that is not the hat that I wear. I wear my marketing and communications hat. But personally, growing up, um, sport was a form of joy. It was a form of bringing people together. My family was very active growing up. My father was my soccer coach. My parents had me on skis when I was three years old. We were always out in the woods um, running, hiking, you know, uh, biking. And it was how uh, we spent time with each other. So for me, sport was a form of joy. And it was also one of my greatest teachers. Um, in terms of why Paralympians is another question I, I always get. Um, if you look at the sports media landscape as a whole, pretty much all of that goes to people um, without disabilities. So pretty much all of the media coverage goes to individuals who do not have physical disabilities. If you look at the last Paralympic Games, that was the first time when the Paralympics were actually shown on national primetime television. So I think there's an incredible opportunity to work with Paralympians whose stories have not been told. But, you know, I, I am not a Paralympian. I do not have a physical disability myself. I just think that it is an incredible opportunity to work with some of the most amazing athletes in the world. And I want to stay for a second with your uh, upbringing, because it sounds lovely. I'm yeah. just reading a book about by um, a girl called Claire Walsh. She was actually a, a guest in my podcast a couple of years ago, and she's she's Irish champion of freediving. And I'm just reading the first few chapters, and she's talking about exactly that, exactly the, the way the swimming pool was their family time together, herself and her sisters mm. and, and her father. And what you just said there, uh, can you just tell me a bit more, because... Uh, I love this idea of sports and your father was the, the coach, but also the outdoors. Tell me a bit more what what you remember of all of that. How do you remember it? Sure. So I grew up about 30 minutes southwest of Boston in a very small town called Dover, 5,000 people, uh, probably more cows than, than people in the town that I grew up one stoplight. And, you know, we were always outside. My friends would call our house boot camp boot camp middleman because middleman is my last name. And I didn't realize until I was in high school or later that the activities of my family were a bit abnormal. The fact that we would go on, you know, five mile snowshoe runs in the middle of winter on a Saturday or Sunday morning. I didn't think twice about that. That was just kind of what we did. Or, you know, we'd be up skiing at 7am on Saturday morning. Didn't think about it. Um, but that was just kind of what we did. Um, and it created this this culture where we were always active, where we were always laughing or trying to be competitive. I had an older brother um, who I was always trying to catch up to. I had a younger sister who I would, you know, go outside and kick kick a ball around with, throw a baseball with. And it was we had our own little team, if you will. Um, so when school was frustrating or we, you know, got in arguments. We'd always just go outside, and that was how we'd let off steam. Brilliant. And tell me something in terms of uh, because I I coach uh, football or soccer for a long time, um, and I have boys and girls, and and there's a point, especially with the girls, where it just becomes really hard to keep them in the team. You know, teenage oh. years. When, when when did you stay? What, what what sport did you carry on doing, or when did you give up the sport? Yeah, sure. So we definitely have noticed a massive decline in, in sports around for women and girls around their teenage years. 
I I did play sports throughout high school and, and, and actually in college for a bit. So I played soccer, I was a ski racer, and I ran track throughout high school. And then in college for a bit, I played soccer. Um, so the drop-off was was not an issue for, for me personally. And I think I really credit a couple things with that. I think the role that sports played in my life as being kind of a haven uh, for me at a young age, but then it was also a big part of my identity. I think I always identified as someone who was a sporty, outdoorsy person. Um, so I, I was not ready to give that up. Even after college, you know, when I wasn't part of a team anymore, I've, I've run a couple marathons. I'm a certified yoga instructor. I like to be as active as I possibly can. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, as you know, I break the, the conversation with a couple of songs. And uh, the first one you gave me is uh, Imagine by John Lennon. Tell me a bit more about that. Yes, I absolutely love this song. I think it is an incredibly hopeful and optimistic song that is forward looking. Um, I think that a lot of my mentality as an individual and as an entrepreneur with my work is imagining a better world, a world where people can connect and understand each other, a world where people um, see the best in each other. And I think a lot of that is what John Lennon is singing about. So that is that is a song that I hold near and dear to my heart. I think that when I tend to get grumpy or down or seeing the worst in people, I try to circle back to the lyrics of the song and, and ground myself um, in a spirit of being optimistic and more hopeful. Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky I will get to the flame bearers because I have a lot of questions on that, but I, I just want to stay a little bit with the background because um, especially with this idea of the imagined, the way you imagine a world and obviously what you're doing with flame bearers, very much that, creating a world that is nicer and more inclusive and, and, and more equitable. But you have a background in, um, in media, which... You were, you were in that world, or probably still are in that world. Like I was reading through your bio, you know, you, you manage a 30 million um, media portfolio. That's uh, that's not an easy job. And it's probably how, how easy was it and how how easy was it to see the world as a, as what you would like to imagine in, in, that, in that chaos? Such a good question. So um, as you mentioned, my background was in the media communication space. I worked for um, a tech conglomerate. So they've changed their names a couple of times. It was formerly AOL, then Yahoo. This is the company that owns the Huffington Post, TechCrunch. It was bought by Verizon. So they've changed their name um, a bunch of times. But essentially, my role was on our corporate social responsibility team. And I oversaw or manage the media that we would allocate to charitable causes. And I loved that because I was working at the intersection of for-profit and non-profit. And I was able to 
support organizations who we thought were doing incredibly meaningful work. To answer your questions directly, it was very challenging. There's so many incredible organizations out there that I think are doing life-changing work. And I think the tough part is going through all of them, first of all, and trying to understand what, what aligns with, you know, at this point, the company that I was working for. I, I wouldn't get to just decide what, what cause do I like? I'm going to support this. No, it was all about what nonprofits align with our strategic initiatives. And then trying to figure out the best way to engage people around those those charitable causes. So is it by uh, writing an editorial for them? Is it creating a video ad so people can actually hear from the recipients of, of the funds themselves? So I think what I learned from that position is how to really effectively touch people and how to communicate with them in a language that they understand. Um, I think oftentimes people make the mistake of communicating how they like to communicate best versus communicating in the in the people in the language of the people who are listening. So what that means is if you're trying to get people to take action, you have to talk to them in a way that they understand, even if it's not how you naturally think and feel. Mm. I'm very curious about the diversity, inclusion, and you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Now there's the belonging as well. You know, the D E I B, uh, which yeah. is really important and it's really uh, uh, topical. However, I'm also you just mentioned something there about strategic. You know, that's that's what in the, in any any com- any corporation strategy is the key, right? And how does how do the two worlds, you know, the the, the diversity, inclusion, the charitable work, the strategy, how does that how how does it work? No, I don't want to need the, the, the mechanics, but yeah. how easy it is to, to to maintain what you're starting for, you know, starting to diversity inclusion, that charitable work, and then this strategy gets in the way. Sure. Well, it's, it's interesting. At the end of the day, there are so many incredible organizations out there doing incredible work, and no one, no company is going to be able to do all of it. You can't. It's mm. like having, you know, a million different goals, and that means you're going to get none of them done. So I think what is approach that I actually tend to believe in is if you have one or two areas that you're really focusing on, these are your core strengths, and that's what you double down in, I think you can make a much more impactful difference in those areas. So from a strategic perspective, the company that I worked at at the time was doing a lot of work around specifically women, girls in technology. Um, They did that in part because one of the brands they owned was Makers, which is the first storytelling platform that has a collection of stories of women who are trailblazers. So this was a part of the company's DNA. They didn't just pluck a random uh, cause out of the air. It wasn't like, you know, the CEO is passionate about environmental issues. Therefore, this is what we're going to do. It was actually a part of the DNA of the company as a whole. And I think what worked about that is it felt very real. Um, People know when you are kind of doing what's called greenwashing or CSR washing, when you are giving back so people feel good about your company. But if there is a real tie or a real reason to why you're supporting A, B, or C cause, that rings a lot more true. Um, So I think there's kind of this fine balance of being strategic, but then also making sure you understand 
why you're actually investing in those areas and making sure that you're choosing those areas really thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. The DNA, uh, you dis- as you describe it, makes a lot of sense. Um, so talking about your DNA now, because uh, you mentioned that the, you, you, you're telling the story, the storytelling is across different medias, um, podcast, yeah. podcast being one of them, video and so on. Tell, tell me more about the choice of that first, before, as I say, before we get into the flame bearer, what, what, what is the choice? What, what, what brought you to that choice of the three pronged approach? Sure. So I think just to answer this question completely, you have to understand when I started Flame Bears, which was at the beginning of the global pandemic. So when people were not able to be together, when it was dangerous to have events in person, when everyone was, you know, scattered in four corners of the world and everyone was very isolated. So that's where the idea of a podcast came from for me. It was what can you do that is safe? So not going to expose anyone to the COVID disease. Um, And what is a way that people can connect to people? So a podcast is something that anyone with an internet connection can can participate in. It's something, I think it's a form of communication that is very intimate. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, feel like they really get to know people over the course Mm -hmm. of a podcast. And I think that that was a very um, needed feeling during the pandemic when myself included was feeling very alone, very isolated. So that's where the idea of doing a podcast came from. Um, as we, you know, existed for a little bit longer and started to gain some traction and then the COVID vaccine came out and people started to, to feel more comfortable with the pandemic, that's when we started to do more in-person opportunities, recording video and doing live events. But really, the idea for a podcast came out of, you know, our hands are a bit tied right now. What can we do? Okay, this is one channel that that is accessible to many people and makes people feel comfortable. Brilliant. Um, Can you tell me about the transition from uh, working in that large organization to starting this brand from scratch? (laughs) And uh, what was it like? You're laughing. (laughs) There must be the good time. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, a little bit of both. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, one of the things that I really like about your conversations is that people are always very honest and direct. Um, it's been very challenging. I love it at times because I don't have a boss who's telling me, Jamie, you need to do A, B, and C, even if I don't agree with or like priority C. I'm the boss here. So that's incredibly liberating. By the same token, um, it is it is stressful. Um, it can be overwhelming. I'm the one who has to make my priorities on a daily basis. And at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. If I don't accomplish something, I am really hard on myself. And guess what? I don't get to blame anyone, anyone else but myself. Um, so I think it's been simultaneously incredibly um freeing and exhilarating and empowering because I've been able to build something from literally nothing. But at the same time, it has been intimidating. I've had a lot of times where I am questioning why I'm doing this. Um, It's been lonely. It's, you know, I I don't have the office cooler talk that I used to have. I'm sitting alone at home doing my work, talking to people remotely from around the world. And hey, that's really cool. But I don't have my coworker who I can go grab a beer with after work. Um, so it's it's um, it's complicated. It's not just all 
peaches and cream and it's not just all challenges. It's a little bit of both. And I think that's one of the things that I like about it. It's complicated and it's nuanced. Yeah, and, and it's wonderful because uh, you've you've accomplished quite a lot in the in very short time, including a good chunk of it being in uh, during the pandemic, which of course with the technology and so on and so forth. But still, it wasn't an easy thing. Um, tell me a bit about so congratulations. Sorry, that's I meant to say that at the end of my sentence. Um, um, so tell me about Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle, fantastic song. Ah, uh, um, this is actually a song that my father introduced me to, um, and it was very much a cautionary tale for me. Um, it was a song that my dad always was a little sad to when he was listening. My dad was a very present father in my life. I think I mentioned that he was my soccer coach. Um, I think I was very lucky in terms of having him around, and I remember he we would listen to this this song in the car and he would say you know this is the life I do not want to live this is an example of a father who never had time for his son and then flip side as the father gets older the son never has time for the the father and I remember my dad you know who worked incredibly hard at his job was always saying I want to make sure that I understand what I'm working for and if if being with you, Jamie, ever interact with that, I'm going to choose you 10 out of 10 times. And I think that this song for me has very much become kind of a mantra of what I do not want to do with my life. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people have positive songs that they like to aspire to. And I mentioned Imagine by John Lennon. I think it's equally important to have songs or things that remind you of how you don't want to live. And that's what the song is for me. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. The cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, daddy, don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then Yeah, that's wonderful. And they, and they, and that's the reason why I do this song, because it, it, it's important to understand what informs you being you today and doing what you do, right? And it's obviously your dad has had a lot of, of positive impact. So third place, Mr. Misselman. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great. And it's a fantastic song to, to, to have conversation with your daughter. It's beautiful. Now, I'm just going to reread the, the, the Flame Bearer mission. It says, illuminated the unsung stories of resilient women and athletics that inspire people to drive change for themselves in their connection with others and their communities. Now, mm -hmm. resilience, before we talk about anything else, what is resilience? Oh, that is the million-dollar question. I think it means a lot of different things to different people. So that's actually one of the things that we like to ask every athlete because to different athletes, it means very different things. Um, many athletes say it's the ability to pick yourself up when you are hurting. It's the ability to fill up your cup so you can um, march forward in the face of insecurity, in the face of fear. 
but I think one of the beautiful things about it is it can mean many different things to different people. Um, what's interesting about resilience, and I didn't realize this until about year two, I actually, I think, started Flame Bears very much as a personal rescue mission and as my attempt to be resilient in my own life. I've mentioned my dad a couple times. I had lost him right before I started Flame Bears to incurable brain cancer. And then I almost lost my mom to an aortic dissection um, about a year later. And I think that through elevating stories of resilient people, that helped me find resilience in myself. And my hope is that by showing stories of athletes who are the best in the world, who are struggling, who are fighting day in and day out against whatever it may be, that everyone can find a bit of their inner Olympian or their inner Paralympian and see the resilience in the mirror that they themselves have. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Um, this, um, but it's, yeah, it, it, I'm glad you, the, your answer is what it is because, again, similar to the diversity and inclusion, is one of those words that's been thrown around too too often, too quickly, without too much thought behind. So I'm glad that that's what it means to you and to all your guests. It means something different. And then speaking of your guests, what I love about, and again, that's what I love, the similarities of what we've been doing with this podcast, is you're giving voices to everybody, um, better known, lesser known, and so on, which is, is, is wonderful. What is that doing to Flame Bearers as a project, as a, as a movement? What is that doing, sure. giving the voice to everybody? So I, it's interesting because when people think about sports coverage as a whole, historically, it's kind of been a misnomer. It's kind of been male sports coverage. So until, until 2018, less than 4% of sports coverage globally went to women. We're now up to 15%. So that means 85% of sports coverage still goes to men. Um, and, and hey, I tune in for, for male sports games all the time. But just to call a spade a spade, that means that that is male sports coverage. That's not sports coverage as a whole. Um, so we're trying to broaden the conversation of who gets featured. But then also within that category of women's sports, who are the athletes whose stories are being told? So if you look at, I think I mentioned Paralympians, historically, they've never been talked about on primetime television. Um, what about women from the global south? What about people who don't fall into um, heteronormative identities, who fall a little bit outside of the mold, either from a beauty perspective, a religious perspective? There's a very narrow piece of the pie when we talk about women's sports of who historically has been covered. And I think what we have right now is we have an opportunity to get this right. People are finally starting to tune into women's sports and care Let's make sure that we lift up all voices, not just people who look like me, who play the sport I play, but all women athletes, the best in the world universally. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that it's not just one very narrow subset of athletes that have their stories told, but really that we show the multitudes of different experiences, because that's really what there are. If you talk to an athlete like Rita Simwe from Uganda, who's the number one para badminton player in all of Africa, 
her experience is vastly different than Becky Sauerbrunn, the captain of the U.S. women's national soccer team. Both have incredible stories. There's no value. There's no comparison here. But I think what's important to what we do is we put their stories on the same platform and say, you know what? They both have incredibly valuable stories. We think you should meet both of them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you mentioned a couple of times the Paralympian. Uh, I had a, I did a live podcast with a Paralympian. She's an Irish uh, uh, cyclist. She had a brain damage uh, injury. And I asked her the question, what's the difference between Paralympian and Olympian, you know? And yeah. uh, as you know, there isn't much of a difference when it comes to sports, right? What do you find when you're talking Paralympian? I mean, they're full-on athlete, athletes. Oh, 100%. You know, so so just to to clarify, because there's a lot of misconceptions. So Paralympians are people with physical disabilities. Um, There's a it is the International Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Uh, The Paralympics usually happen two weeks after the Olympics. It's a whole separate Mm -hmm. game. And countries send athletes. Um, there's so many similarities. They're, they're literally the best athletes in the world. They just have physical disabilities. Um, I think a couple common mistakes that people make is when they talk to Paralympians, and this was something that I had to do a lot of educating myself on, given that I do not have a physical disability, given that I was trying to be an ally in these conversations, is to understand um the words that people use around ability and disability, the words to avoid, um, some of the pitfalls that people use when they talk about athletes with physical disabilities. So there's kind of this concept of disability porn, if you will. So the idea that all Paralympians want to be sources of inspiration for, for other people. And that's not necessarily the case. They're just, many of them are total badass athletes who are literally the best in the world at what they do. And they want to focus on something totally different. So it's, it's been really interesting for me to educate myself to understand how I can be an ally or a stronger ally for people in that community and tell the stories that, that they want told, not the stories that I necessarily come in thinking that they would want told. Because oftentimes I've noticed there's a difference. Absolutely. And I remember talking to uh, Richelle and she said, basically, they work as hard, if not harder than an Olympian. And, you know, it, that's 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 the reality. And they just have. And that's the other thing that she pointed out. And I had another gentleman on, on stage. He had a disability. They're not disabled. They're living with disability. It's a big difference. Big uh, difference. That was yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people, some some people I've worked with don't even like to use the word disabled. Mm. Um, I've had many athletes have other forms, other ways that they describe themselves. Um, Differently abled, I think, was one word. Um, Some athletes don't care about the word. They're like, yes, it just depends on the context and how you use it. So it's, it's kind of like the word resilience. It is so individual um, in terms of what resonates with one person is not necessarily going to resonate with the other. So I always actually start by saying, you know, what words would you like me to use? What are the words that you use? And that's the important work you do by giving that voice. So if the girl in Uganda or in Boston or wherever she might be, she likes to describe herself in a different way. That's perfect. That's her voice and their voice is what we hear. And speaking of Uganda, you now have athletes that contributed to the platform or been interviewed in the platform from 48 countries. That's quite quite something. (laughs) 
Thank you. <laughs> how 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 do you go there? What what what's the plan? How would you you know what is the plan? I, mean, I can imagine you there sitting with a map of the world with all the pins on it, going, "I'm going to go to <laughs> Borneo next." How, how do you plan in world conquer, conquering the world? Sure. Um, well, the athletes are the ones conquering the world. I'm I, I'm hopefully just giving them the mic and hopefully giving them the credit I think they deserve. Um, our vision is that we become the go-to storytelling platform for elite women athletes. I want people to think of Flame Bears as the community that tells these stories. And to be clear, we don't do sports reporting. So you're not going to come to us and you're not going to hear who beat who in the latest game. There's there's many organizations out there that do that and we we tune in and we're huge supporters of them. But we want people to think of our company when they think about trying to understand who these women are. What do they care about? What makes them tick? Who is who is the woman under the jersey? Um, not just who's the person that you're tuning in for on prime time, but what happens to her when she goes home? Uh, so that's our vision for the future. Um, and it is to be very global in nature. I think this kind of gets back to my earlier comment of having an opportunity to elevate all voices and not just a very narrow piece of the pie. So we've been very, very careful to make sure that I'm from the U.S., my network is in the U.S., it would be a lot easier for me to just elevate the voices of U.S. Olympians and Paralympians. But I've uh, I've had to kind of fight against that that urge to make sure that I am elevating people from very different backgrounds and experiences from myself. So we're going to keep trying to reach more women um, from other parts of the world that we we have not worked with yet. So if you're listening and you're from a different place, we would love to hear from you. Wonderful. I'll make sure I put everything in the show notes for people to contact you. And I'll put you in touch in touch with Richelle. She's a wonderful uh, girl from Ireland and Paralympian uh, cycling. A um, couple more questions. So at one point you sat there, perhaps in your room, perhaps in your coffee shop, and you had this idea of flame bears. Uh, and what is now, What is, what is well, Flame Bear is now doing, how it compares to your original idea, your original dream when you came up with this tour. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, I was in graduate school at the time, and this was actually supposed to be a summer internship. <laughs> I was getting a master's of policy um, at the Harvard Kennedy School, and I had been pitching a role that didn't exist, but I thought it should. And I thought I should be the one to have it to the International Olympic Committee. And then COVID happened and the Olympics and the Paralympics were postponed and no one knew what what was up and what was down. And I applied for funding within the Harvard ecosystem to start this podcast. And it really just started off as I want to champion women Olympians. Um, And I have to credit my advisor at the time for saying, Jamie, you know, you have a massive opportunity here. Why just Olympians? What about Paralympians? And this was at the time of George Floyd in the United States. And I was having a lot of conversations with many of my friends. I'm a white, white person. And I realized that a lot of the burden of conversations around race were falling on people of color. And my advisor challenged me. She said, Jamie, you are an individual who does not have a physical disability. Why should the burden of conversations around ability always fall on people 
with disabilities. Isn't there a parallel here in terms of the role that white people have in having conversations around race and the um, the role that people without physical disabilities need to have in terms of having conversations around ability. And I was like, you know what? You are absolutely right. And I, her name is Dr. Kesley Hong, and she's the person who really inspired me to take a good, hard long look in the mirror and say, you know what? No, you have a role in having these conversations. Um, so right from day one, my idea started to change. It was not a, I'm going to go in and do this, and this is the vision for Flame Bears. It has become a iteration, and from the very beginning, we very much learn from people who know more than I do. Um, this was someone who has done, who had been in academia for her entire life, and she challenged me to rethink um, how I was thinking about inclusion from day one. Um, so my, my hope for the future is that I can continue to grow and challenge my ideas of, of who should be, whose story should be told, and that hopefully we can include more voices in that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, and speaking of learning, what are the greatest learnings so far from the many guests you've had or from the whole process? What are the greatest learning for you personally? That is such a tough question. Um, I feel like there could be a million different things that I could say. Um, me personally, I will kind of bucket these Um one of them, and this is just about my individual experience of talking to people who I've always idolized and put up on pedestals, is the fact, and this is going to sound super silly, that the best athletes in the world are just people. That people who many of us, myself included, have grown up idolized, have putting up um, on a stage, have struggles, have challenges, um, have insecurities. And of course, that makes sense. But to bear witness to that and to give voice to that is really humanizing. And on the flip side, many of the athletes are, are frustrated with feeling like they always have to be, they always have to show up, feeling like they have to be robotic. And they're like, I'm a human too. Why don't people give me the grace that they extend to their next door neighbor? So I think that that has been um incredibly helpful for me as as an interviewer and someone who has been working with many guests of different level of notoriety. I would also say um, to, to give myself grace and to give myself the same level of, of support that I extend to my guests and my community members. This is not something I'm good at. I'm actually actively bad at this. Um, I think I mentioned I'm pretty hard on myself. So I think Throughout this entrepreneurial journey, one of my biggest takeaways have has been to really celebrate the small wins and things that historically I may have seen rolled over and said, okay, next, what's the next priority? And instead stopping and saying, hey, this is a really big deal. You need to market. You need to celebrate it. Let's acknowledge it. And then you can move on. So I think, I think that has been another um, very successful takeaway for me. And that is wonderful. And the fact, as you say, you're humanizing the conversations, but that obviously helps, is helping you as the, the listener to, to grow from, and, and I, and I speak from experience. I just absolutely love doing this because every word that is spoken on this podcast is just something new for me and something that 
I'm hoping people take something away from it. But again, whether behind the jerseys or behind the microphone or behind the headphones, it doesn't matter. We're all humans. And, and that's what I, I love about it. And, and I, uh, it's great to hear you doing that. Um, uh, doing such a great job. And I had, I had a previous guest, she was doing similar thing for women in music because, again, the music business, it's white male. Uh, in Europe, it's white male, um, 90% or whatever it was at the time. So it's getting better. Since she started the campaign, uh, things are getting better. So hopefully, and I, and I know for a fact, you will be uh, increasing that percentage year on year without a shadow of a doubt. So before I let you go, Love on top, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta bring in Beyonce. So I, um, I struggle with this. So I was, I was fluctuating between a Beyonce song and a Taylor Swift song, both of whom I, I, I love both artists. I think both are role models. Um, I think both have done incredible things for, for women and girls. Love on top, though, kind of won out for me in the end because it's a song about love. It's a song about. Uh, prioritizing the concept of love. And I think that um, that is what I aspire to do in each and every one of these conversations. I've described my work as kind of love letters to each of these athletes or odes to each of these athletes that I love because, or that I work with, excuse me, because I want to show them or portray them in the best light possible, the light that they would like to have. And I think this song of Beyonce um, prioritizes love in the same way. Bring the beat in. So, Jamie, the last word to you. Um, first of all, it's just been amazing to listen to your story and we can talk a lot longer. But I, I, I just um, like to leave you the last word in terms of any listeners uh, from this side of the Atlantic or, or otherwise. What would you like to leave them with? What would be the one thought in your mind at the moment you would like to leave them with? We would love to hear from you. Um, I know that we historically worked with you know, work with Olympians and Paralympians, but we need everyone to be a part of this process. It doesn't matter if you're not an athlete. It doesn't matter if you are a man, a woman, have never played sport in your life. Everyone needs to be a part of this process of elevating all voices. And if anything I've said today resonates, we'd love to hear from you. We have a little collaborate button on our website. So if, if, you just like anything I've said and you're like, you know what? This sounds really cool. I want to support that in some way. I have no idea how. Fill out the form and we'll, we'll come up with something creative that works for both of us. Sounds wonderful. So, Jamie Mittelman, thanks a million for your time. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And best of luck with Flame Bearers. It's such a wonderful project. And Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful.
that was by a glass of red wine I'm doing fine if you tell me why yeah I'm doing okay my new cover design and we're happy and shining like a sunny Sunny days, now we're shining like the sun. We love sun. 